Um, hello and welcome back to Nan and or Geek, your one and only Nan Funcast uh, in, in the nation. Uh, <laughs> with me tonight is fellow the Nan enthusiast, Cal Doughty. Cal, how are you? Me, hello. Uh, I'm good, thank you. I was trying to think of her catchphrase then, but... Uh, uh, she just does it. like a laugh. She just does oh. like an eh. <laughs> uh, that, Cal, I can, only, I can only ask you one thing. Um, are we bothered? Yes, we are. About the Nan 2022's <laughs> hottest new film. What a fucking liberty. I, I, <laughs> that's my catchphrase. I can only think Catherine Tate characters, Am I Bothered and the Nan. I can't actually remember. Uh, yeah, Am I Bothered is, is her name was Lauren, I think. Mm-hmm. And she was a teenager in it, school. It, it, it was a ripoff of the Vicky Pollard sketch from Little Britain. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Where, which in itself is not a very funny Original. sketch. That's a, I had ne- you know what? I'd never put two yeah. and two together. <laughs> didn't didn't Did, um Tony? So we're talking. We're, we're talking about. We're talking about the oh, Catherine yeah. Tate okay. show. Before we go off too in much of a Catherine Tate tangent, uh, we're we're talking about the Catherine Tate show and the fact that Catherine Tate is a comedian and actress. Uh, being in a some things that that we like. Yeah, we uh enjoy a lot of Doctor Who. A lot of people will know her from as Donna Noble from Doctor Who. Great role a, for her. A very wasted character in the office. Yeah. Yes, exactly. A, a wasted character, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I think she's wasted in that. Uh, Catherine Tate can be a very good actress uh, in in some roles that she's had. Um, for some reason, <laughs> it, someone, her, or like a studio, has decided about seventeen years later, sixteen to, years since the, six, sixteen years since the last years showing since it ended. Yeah, um, it ended eighteen years since it began uh, to release a movie. Um, out of one of her characters in her sketch show, the Catherine Tate show, which ran in like the mid two thousands. Yeah, um, and so it's oh, it's not actually. It's a, it's a, there was a Christmas ca- a Christmas special in two thousand and nine. Okay, so the series oh. ended in two thousand. And- so, if I recall, was there a moment where Tony Blair appeared in a Catherine Tate sketch? Was it Gordon? That Brown? was that was where with she- Lauren. It was it was Tony Blair. Tony Blair I remember she it asked for, him for if comic she yeah, it was one of those things of like, look, our Prime Minister's cool. Yeah. He's doing cool things. Yeah, it's our cool, not war criminal Prime Minister, who is Wink. Just, who, <laughs> Wink, who's appearing <laughs> on sketch shows. Um, he's allegedly not a war criminal. Uh, <laughs> Someone, he's alleged that, but he's not he's, a war he criminal. He has alleged that. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Catherine Tate Show, and I guess we're just going to get straight into this because I'm. Quite interesting. I had no idea Scott was leading with this, by the way. Uh, anytime you hear an intro from Scott in the start of this podcast, I, I, I tend no to make it a surprise. But the Catherine Tate show, right, was at the tail end of the British catchphrase sketch show wave, right? So you've got probably starting with something like the Fast Show in the late nineties. Yeah. Um, that that's kind of uh, starts this uh, this trend of uh, sketch shows which are heavily based around comedy characters and specifically catchphrases. And obviously the big one that popularised it is Little Britain in the early 2000s. Which is uh, madness. But yes. a- Aged really poorly. Big success at the time. Aged really, really badly. Uh, like a lot of early 2000s comedy, uh, Little Britain. But it is mostly just characters um, in sketches getting to different situations, but ultimately ending the same way when they just kind of say a catchphrase. They say the catchphrase. Uh, the, the joke is that they do that the they, thing that the characters always, the thing that always, they always do. do. You, you know it's coming in every scene. 
Uh-huh. And yet, just how they're going to introduce it in this particular scene. So Little Britain, of course, had um, a guy who many, was the same. He was, he was in a wheelchair. Yeah, the guy yeah, was in a wheelchair. Making fun of the disabled. But so. actually, he didn't need the wheelchair. He was just lazy. Um, you had uh, two um, people who were transgender women, uh, but everyone everyone knew they weren't really women, so they just keep getting called Wink. out, and then, then they'd Wink. say, "Oh, but I am a woman. I'm a lady." Yeah, and that was that uh, was the joke. You had uh, two really fat women. Um, the joke was that they take off their clothes to reveal the fat suit underneath. And one of them uh, was, one of them uh, was, black, was blackface. R- David Williams in blackface. Yeah. Uh, yep. You had. Um, you had the, 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 the fat fighters. The, the, the Weight the Watchers fighters. Club. Weight Watchers um, Club. Another, another anti Weight Watchers is a brand name, but it's. It, yeah. yeah. Uh, and she just made fun of people uh, basically for being fat. Uh, but it's but it's okay because she's fat herself, you see. So really, yeah. really, she's the butt of a joke because uh, she's fat. Um, we're not we're not making fun of the regular. We're fatty. not. No, no. Yeah, we're yeah. making fun of a bad fatty. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and you, they would <laughs> and, be described um, as fatties. Um, what, what else? There what was the one. There was the ra- the racist characters. The racist bake baking. Oh, show the racist people. introduced with season two. The woman yeah. who um was it season three, whatever. The one who um yes. Anytime she she, Anytime she would she really eat, enjoy some food, but, but when but, she realised it was made by a non-English white person, she'd throw uh, up. She would throw up uh, in a sort of like the, right over the, the top, blah, sort of way. There was the adult man who um, was still being breastfed, and that was kind of gross out. Humor. Oh yeah, I um, forgot about that. There's there, a lot there of gross out humour in this as well. It's kind of a mix of. And it then, was on. A, it was just. You also, you also had the only gay in the village. Which, yeah, the, the only gay in the village. That was. The, um, the joke was he wasn't the only gay in the village. And, and that one is one of the less offensive. That's, yeah, that, that one is... I mean, you've got Matt Lucas, who I believe is gay, um, doing a... Th- yeah, that, that was maybe the only one... Maybe one of the only ones that left this that, being like, actually, fine, that, that, that one good. That is one of that one actually had jokes behind it because yeah it wasn't him well he did say his catchphrase a lot but the joke was he obviously was not the only gay person in his village and it yeah. was, anyway and then and then you had the, the school girl who um oh, know, what, what, yeah. she was yeah. poor and stupid and also had uh, a lot of mixed race children so yeah I've got having I've got a lot of children that's that's worthy of um. Of ridicule. Anyway, um, enough about how Little Britain was really, really bad and, and uh, really, really popular. And really, you cannot, and especially for us who were children, like we were school age, you know, secondary school age at the time. You know, it was playground fodder, wasn't it? It was really. Yeah. And funnily enough, kids use these kind of offensive caricatures to make fun of the people that they were yeah, caricaturing. It turns out uh, because uh, uh, they, school age children a... are, you know, not very nice a lot of the time. They did a. Um attempt at or it looks like a series called Little Britain USA oh yeah but it was st- it was called Little Britain USA mm. okay oh we forgot odd. the prime minister prime minister oh, yeah, John, prime um anthony head from buffy uh and david williams who wants a seat with a prime minister um, yeah that was also one of the less offensive sketches yeah, the and then yeah. you had the the school teacher who married one of his former students was also a, li- a lesser known Little Britain sketch, but he was. Still I don't acting. remember that one. He was still acting. The joke was that they got married. She was an adult when she married him, but he was still acting like a school teacher, and that was. Oh, I don't. That was I don't joke. remember that at all, actually. Yeah, that's um, lucky me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so 
that was sort back, of like that was sort of like really popularized this this, this, this was this the moment and on the back of this in i think 2004 so it was after little britain finished but or kind of concurrently maybe with the final season of little britain but uh, little britain started 2003 second series 2004 third series 2005 okay so Catherine tate started in 2004 so kind of concurrently with that yeah Catherine yeah. tate who sort of closed out this era of catchphrase based sketch show um with such memorable characters as um the, the am i bothered girl and the nan there was um, some other characters as well, I think. Yeah, well, there were other characters, but I can't remember. I can't remember as well as Little Britain. No. What the characters were. They're, they're less seared into my memory. So you've got the Nan. You've got Lauren Cooper. And the other ones I'm looking at, you've got Paul and Sam. How many, how much? The Aga Saga woman, which I do not want to look into a little bit. Uh, anymore um, Derek Faye Janice and Ray I don't recognise any of these characters I would say Catherine Tate's efforts on the whole a bit less offensive than Little yeah. Britain I don't, she never got into blackface that I can remember no. um, and <laughs> oh this was acceptable in the early two in Britain well it wasn't do you want to have a long conversation about the acceptability of racism in British media I mean, it's one of those things where they go, oh, you couldn't do that anymore. Like, uh, so, so, as, as if it was a long time ago. They're okay, like, they're so, like, oh, we, our, 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 we've changed now. So we've first, changed. Yes. And so it's it's the era of, um, and this is popularised like stuff like South Park as well in America. Uh, it's the era of quote unquote ironic racist humour, where the, the, the whole idea is, oh, we're, we're doing it, but we, we don't really, no one really believes this, right? Yeah. We, and then, of course, it turns out that quite a lot of people did believe that. Yeah. Still do. And they and it provided quite an effective cover for people who uh, who wanted to popularise those views. That didn't stop with Little Britain. That carried on with the sh- their um, 2011 show Come Fly With Me, where yeah, uh, they, they, bo- they both that. play like Indian people at one point. Yeah. Like yeah, this, Matt, this the, the, they'd only stopped a little while ago. The idea of it being like a thing that we just did because we didn't know any better back in the day is ludicrous. I think yeah, well, I mean, it's so. So it kind of has like phases, right? Because you have like the original, the time in like the seventies and sixties where it was really like unquestionably accepted, and then you kind of have the the tide of political correctness in the eighties and nineties, and then you have like the the, the backlash in the two thousands where it is like, oh, we don't really believe this, but. We're gonna do it anyway because it's shock. It it's like the era of like shock humor, which I feel like we're slowly getting back into that. You know, I, th- well, I think so the the the, kind of the whiplash had, like, to quote unquote PC culture, political correctness, yeah. all that stuff is sort of starting up again. Well, well, it's kind of become really politically polarizing now because it's not now a, like whether or not you are into that kind of a uh, quote unquote like politically incorrect humor. It's like a political signifier, right? Yeah, it, it's it's become a thing of a right wing. For the most part. Yes, absolutely. Which just uh yeah. So the reason um, the reason we're talking about this is because the Nan movie so, exists. So yeah, prompting this. Yeah, then Catherine Tate has made a movie about the Nan from the Catherine Tate show. And so I did sixteen years later. Yeah, I mean to be fair, they they did production in like twenty nineteen, but then oh, so they, only twelve years later. But the studio shelved it until yeah, now, basically. They're so, worried they wouldn't make their money back if people couldn't go see it over the COVID time. I mean, they kind of had this film on the shelf, I guess, and decided to to release it. But I've got to say, so we wanted to bring it up not only because it's really weird that they've decided it's to so make uh, the, the, the Nan film 
even in for a 2020 release, which is what I originally would have had, it's pretty like so strange that you would decide who would back this, who gave this money to make, who thought Vanan, that's a bankable character. It's honestly, it's so bizarre that people it, would this... sign back up to join it. You've got it, Catherine it... Parkinson signing up for it. You've got, uh, I mean, one of the writers is Brett Goldstein, who's also known as the writer for Ted Lasso. You know, it's, Gavin, it's got, Gavin and Stacey. He, I mean, he's got he's got nothing. Else. Matthew Horn's got nothing else to do. He's he's he, he needs this to be fair. Um. <laughs> Playing her grandson, uh, but so is this trying to like play on like late millennial nostalgia or like millennial nostalgia for the early two thousands, early to mid people trying to so think? We, oh, we are in the. I remember. We are in the period where we're stepping into, um, I think, maybe doing 2000s culture as a nostalgia uh, bit. But again. But again. like I, we, I, we've, I, done, we've done the 80s. We did the 90s for a bit, although that's still ongoing with like the Fresh Prince reboot oh, and whatnot. Um, I, I also think it's in this time of particular strife. I think a lot of people are pining for the pre-2008, like, yeah. the, the, the last, like, economic boom was, like, pre- was like two thousand uh, pre before two thousand eight, and I think they're kind of pining for that a little. Yeah, uh, I think it's a mix of like people who grew up then, I guess, coming of age and remembering the Nan, maybe. And uh, now they I want to see the Nan from. Maybe they wanted Prince to make H a little written movie, but film. they were like, "That's that's not gonna fly." <laughs> so doing anything. So, but the next, yeah, the next major thing we can do is like the Nan. Because it's like, if you're going to make a... If she's going to make a movie from one of her characters, this is the most popular one. I guess so. And, and, and you can't, and you can't have an Am I Bothered movie. Because... No. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is the one which you can do the most together. with. You, you, can't, you can't do Lauren in, in whatever. It just doesn't work. Whereas the Nan is maybe the most closest to the three-dimensional The Nan also has a bit of variation. Like, I guess she has a catchphrase. Uh, but she also swears. That's like that's a thing you can add variation to. And she does songs. Yeah. She always ends every s series with a with a song. Sure. So you've got all of that. And I imagine it, it all comes into so, play. So when you think of like, uh, like nostalgia cult, like corporations resurrecting culture for like nostalgia, you it tends to be like American stuff. You, like you don't yeah. get a lot of a lot of British culture mining for sort of. I, I guess well, well, well mostly not... because all of our TV personalities have turned out to be pedophiles uh, from from <laughs> but also because a lot of a lot of a lot of British shows tend to be short lived, you know, like yeah. it's the only real long running ones are things like Doctor Who, which is is entirely the, 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 not my my actual family. Do you remember? My I remember your actual family? <laughs> oh, that went on for a while, didn't it? That that was um that was a weird. Weirdly American type show that aired in Britain. It was um yeah, it went on for like eleven seasons. But and was that also, eleven seasons of six episodes? Um, I think so. It wasn't it wasn't American season lengths. But also unlike a lot of British sitcoms that are kind of written by one or two people, uh that was also that had a writer's room. They had a American oh, really? style writer's room for my family. Interesting. Anyway, I mean, would you would you see uh, what other British stuff could you bring back to in movie form like now? Uh, the, the early 2000s kind of cultural 
desert, really. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> Certainly in Britain. I'm just thinking um, of a bunch of shit reality shows. And apparently there were there were 118 episodes of My Family. Oh. So, uh, so uh, the top review on IMDb is from a guy, from someone who goes, "This series rocks. Worth a watch." Um, maybe so. Maybe that's so. nice, isn't it? Um, and I've got to say, on top of all that, the first reviews from a nan came out today, and it seems to be like two thirds of a movie is what you'd expect. Yep. And then, like a third of a movie is like a period drama set in flashback about the nan, but young, growing up in the wartime. Yeah, because she was born in like the 1930s or something. Yeah. Um. Just bizarre. Her, I guess my nan is currently 90 years old. <laughs> okay, yeah, it must be. She must die at the end of the film, right? Do you reckon they do? Do you reckon they play it for sadness at the do end think, of the film? Oh, may- maybe. That that could be it. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> so what what things do you bring do you bring back? Do you do do you, do we do a little Britain character next? Uh I think Little Britain won't fly to I even when Little Britain got taken off of iPlayer for its like horrible racist content. The the right wing backlash wasn't they their hearts weren't in it, I could tell. No. Like I, I feel like even a lot of conservatives were embarrassed to be trying to defend Little Britain in <laughs> like two thousand and twenty or whenever that it got removed. So I feel like Little Britain is kind of fairly like firmly like we can't do it. We've, um, it's two pints acceptable. of lager and a packet of crisps. Oh, um, the f- the movie coupling. Remember coupling men men behaving badly. Are they still behaving badly in the modern day? <laughs> my hero. Uh, my, <laughs> I remember my hero. What's the yeah. guy from My Hero doing now? Uh, because yeah, he's in Father Ted as well, wasn't he? Yeah, it's all Father Ted. Was but the but Father also, Ted movie. but also, he left that show in like the penultimate season and they just replaced him with a different actor in my hero yeah well they had like a, sh- a short hand wave explanation it was like oh my hero your appearance has changed oh yes it has janet was his wife called janet i can't remember oh yeah she was actually looking at the there we go why did he leave in the penultimate series this season i think he was just fed up with it and they were like <laughs> i think it wasn't it wasn't meant to be the penultimate season but they were like well we'll keep it going like without you and then it failed <laughs> So it of course, ended up yeah. being a positive. You don't season. just change. Yeah. So I think he was just fed up with it. Okay, God, yeah, there, well, was some... me, there was some. Give me. There was shit. Okay. I I have I have quite a memory for like obscure British sitcoms of the early two thousands. Do you remember Mad About Alice? No, I don't know what that R- is. Ran for one season. Um... <laughs> what was it? What was it? What was it? Yeah, it? It was a typical family sitcom about um, two divorced single parents. Who kind of meet and like they're trying to integrate their families. I remember the theme tune, Mad About Alice. Oh, don't remind me. And Mad About Alice. Da 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 da. And we <laughs> know despite the things we say, we wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> that's, that's been stuck in my head for twenty that's... years. Thank you very, <laughs> thank you very much, BBC, <laughs> for a one series show. But for some reason, one series show failed completely, and for some reason, it's stuck in my head for like. 20 we should years. write to the writers to let. Hey, just so you know, there's, there's this no, show I had a direct. I was ten years old, and I, life. and I wouldn't say it's had an impact. I just remember it. 
Scott, if you remember, it had an impact. It will flash before my eyes when I die. I'm like, I'm going to start hearing, Mad About Alice? <laughs> um, so, so many shows have a seven stars or above on IMDb. And I oh, IMDb ratings, you can't trust them. Like, if you're, people on IMDb like, will rate anything. The only people who go onto IMDb to like rate their show is one that they like, right? Because if you don't like it, you've stopped watching after episode one. Do you remember the Lenny Henry show? I don't remember the Lenny Henry. I don't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't watch Len, a lot of a lot of British a, TV. You know, had a sketch show. I preferred American TV, and I still prefer American TV because I don't think we produce a lot of good stuff over here. Um. Anyway, P- so Peter K will bring that, back a character for a film at one point, right? Who you like, fun? Peter K? You'll either get a Max and Paddy show. Oh, or you'll get I, one I, of I these. I don't think Peter K was ever popular enough, was he? Peter K. I mean, the North. He's massively popular. I guess so. He was could he release a film. Redman? Yeah, that's right. The Garnet Redman. All right. He did Max and Paddy, and he did um, that other show, Phoenix Nights. Phoenix Nights. That's the one. There uh, you go. Also, when you if you really take in the landscape of like what two thousands British TV comedy was, that scene in Extras really <laughs> makes so much more sense when he's doing the show and he looks out into the audience. Oh yeah, it's just everyone with the catchphrase T-shirts on it. Yeah, like Extras for all you all you can say about Ricky Gervais, Extras is a perfect encapsulation. Yeah, of like what good British comedy what like what good British comedy was back in the days is encapsulated by extras which also then mocks bad British comedy what, what just, and also it's like what the landscape was at the time yeah absolutely and uh, maybe that was like I mean Mrs Brown's Boys happened but like that was maybe kind of the last period where we might have these like these comedies that everyone watches because now with yes. like streaming and stuff you know, terrestrial TV is becoming less and less important, and you don't get these uh, like BBC or Channel Four or whatever TV shows that like everyone has watched, right? So maybe that period was the last like time where everyone, you know, would be quoting in the school playground the, the Catherine Tate show or whatever. If only it was for something good. If only we went out on a high, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, there was the in-betweeners, which was quoted a lot on the playground to the point where it became a bit um, unfunny, but um. Is show. was a good show. Was a really good show. Um, yeah. So real good show. I mean, in between us, I can't think of anything. Yeah, else. you can't think of anything to say. Friday about night, Friday dinner. night dinner. Good show, but I don't think everyone watched that. No, in terms of what show that everyone watched, in between is probably the last one, isn't it? It was really popular with our age group. I don't know what kids today are watching. Probably so they are, kids today are watching YouTube like TikTok and TikTok and... is basically it. Yeah, YouTube and yeah. TikTok is what. Do, do you want to try and resurrect the Nan via TikTok? Do you want to? Do you want to do a marketing push for the Nan movie that the the, the producers of the Nan movie aren't willing to do? <laughs> yeah, it's got to be us. It's got to be us. All right, not, so... we won't watch it though. Uh, welcome to the Nerd Under the <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Twenty-three minutes in, and welcome into the show, episode seventy-six. Going out on the 21st of March 2022. I'm your host, Cal Doughty. It's also and I... when the Nan movie will be going out of cinemas. <laughs> oh, I've just looked, right? <laughs> and um, the number of showings are less than an anime movie that came out this week. And it came out today. Yeah, there's one showing. Oh, cinemas, cinemas haven't committed to this. No, they've not. Um, I'm your host, Cal Doughty, and I'm joined, as always, by a man who changed his name... After how much he enjoyed playing his favourite World of Warcraft class. It's everybody's friend, Scott <laughs> Hunter. Yep. You like that? I, uh, yeah, that's good. I, uh, I, 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 I was Hunter... originally called Scott Hunter, but my name now is Scott Hunter Hunter. 
<laughs> I want it to be canon that you the the podcast canon that your name was not originally Scott Hunter and you changed okay. it after how much you love World of Warcraft class the Hunter. Uh, I don't think you played a hunter in World of Warcraft, did you? I've never played a hunter. In World you played of a druid, as my my memory. I was originally a druid, yeah. Like, oh, and then I played oh. a paladin when they were really good and broken. <laughs> Very good. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right. Yeah, uh, bloody tired this week. It's um, I'm enjoying getting up in the light for a change. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been good. It's been a full on week. In what way? Between just a lot of work on my PhD's going along quite well. Yep, steaming ahead. Um, then work, college work has been all right. Um, had an open evening this week, which I worked. Did you have to? You had to work the open evening. Well, I volunteered to work the open evening because I had time. I could get time off in lieu if I. Worked. I remember doing an open evening at the college that you work for. Not not oh, yeah. the building you work for, but not as, as part of the is part of the drama group. We. Mm-hmm. Had we decided what would be good to show off the drama group was if we all went round the open evening in character as a character that we chose, and the teacher that we had just sort of said yes to any idea that we wanted. So I chose a ninja, <laughs> yeah, um, who didn't speak, and I would just go into classrooms where people were coming to chat to the different teachers, and I'd just stand there menacingly. <laughs> and the teachers weren't impressed they didn't know this was going to happen and you just had these like parents of people who were thinking oh we'll bring our kids to this to this college walking into these classrooms where this guy dressed as a ninja was just standing there with a with a bloody sword good uh very I just, teenage I just, thing I, to do a very teenage cow thing to do as well like a few of us were like someone was a pirate you had these two people who were just pretending to be babies and it was must have been the worst showing for the college, especially <laughs> for drama, ever. And I've just suddenly had that memory Speaking of it now. Speaking of, like, mid-2000s humour. Yeah. Now, get this right. Go on. What if pirates, yeah. right, what if they fought ninjas? We did that. We did that as well. So one of the persons that, was a that pirate, be... we had a sword fight, and I ended up cutting their hand. So basically, just, like, a bunch of people just started crowding round... As this, this me and this other person w- w- did an unchoreographed sword fight with these wooden swords we had, and I ended up actually injuring her hand. So you found out why sword fights tend to be choreographed, in yeah, and stuff. Absolutely. Um, anyway, I just think that would be like really random and funny. Just random and pirate random. <laughs> How are you, Cal? I'm doing good, thank you. I've had a tough, a little bit of a tough week, but it's been all right. Um. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, 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 you know, do you know what? Well, what's happened it's been a, it it's so been a week of just hard work and hard play. Hard play. It's just been a, a just a just a tricky old tricky old week at the old the old job, the old office life. You know, hashtag. Oh, uh, back to the grind, yeah. Back to the grind. You know it. You know it. So that's been my week. But I have done a bunch of things, and it looks like you've done. A bunch of things as well. Do you want to kick off with? I've done some things. I'm gonna really kind of stretch the um the definition of nerd and or geek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, do you, should I do my Horizon Forbidden West last? Yeah, okay, to start that. with, because uh, I got quite a few things to go through as well. So I finished up Horizon Forbidden West, and I think my thoughts pretty much match with what hap- what I was talking about the last podcast, which is this is a game that is good. 
not great. It's it's very nice to look at, and that's maybe the pinnacle of the game itself. The story is absolute, just oh, it sort of just trundles along and just chucks sort of things in some weird. There's a there's a load of weird sci-fi bollocks later on, and like the final battle is the most Marvel adjacent thing I've like seen in a game and it, 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 just, it sort of comes out of nowhere where suddenly you just got these people flying around because of the whole sci-fi stuff that's going on and it was just like I, don't, I was I was by the time I finished the game I was just kind of done with the game it's it is an open world game that very much wants to stick to the norm of what people are now conditioned to with open world game of just slapping loads of little points on a map Go check out those points without necessarily giving you a specific reason to go explore on your own because you just need to look on a map and then go find the things you want to look at, look look for. Everything just feels so tested and not maybe unimaginative. Like the the, the best parts are on it are like the monster hunter style robot fights that you get involved in those are very cool and there there was a f- definitely a few moments where as I was sort of walking I dedicated myself that when I was going to a place I would just go off the just just go the long way round rather than picking the quickest route that was telling me to go to a place to, that I that I needed to go I just took the long longest way round that I could in an attempt to see something interesting and there was a couple occasions where I did, but those occasions were few and far between. And one of them was I came across this just giant robotic, like, T-Rex, essentially. And so I did a fight with that, and it lasted about 20 minutes, and it was really fun. But it was so few and far between that it was just like this one flash-in-the-pan moment of greatness where I was just like, I wish more of the game was about this. And then I realised I just sort of wish more of the game was Monster Hunter. And then I re-downloaded Monster Hunter on my Switch and played that, and it's very good. So what I'm saying is Horizon Forbidden West made me pick up a game that maybe I didn't play enough of last year, and now I'm playing more Monster Hunter. So thanks, Horizon Forbidden West, for reminding me of a better game. Um, good. It's a good game, though. It, like it's It's a game... I watched a, a short review from uh, Dunkey. It's not a, not a guy I tend to watch that often, but Video Game Dunkey. And he described it as a focus-tested, unimaginative game that very few people will love, or no, that very few people will hate, but no one will truly love. Hmm. I, I think that the game might really go down infamously as like being a pretty good game that had a terrible release date because it came out like a week before Pokemon Legends, and also like oh, no, a it was couple after of weeks Pokemon before Legends. Elden Ring. This this was after Pokemon Legends. Okay, it came out just after Pokemon Legends, and it came out shortly before Elden Ring. Well, you know what happened to the first game, don't you? Well, it, it um, came out. It, it came, came out, out alongside. It came out three days before Breath of the Wild. Oh yeah. And this game came so, out two days before Elden Ring, and a few yeah, a, so, a few weeks after her, after Pokemon Legends. Yeah. So. And it just does what every other open world do, is doing, but. That series is cursed with well, it's not because someone made the decision to bloody well do it. It's gonna, it's cursed, gonna sell well. It's, sell, it's sold things. very well. Oh yeah, sure. It's just I think it makes the comparisons a lot more direct. Out of a conversation, yeah. Oh yeah, that as well. It makes the comparisons a lot more direct. So yeah, I finished it. I'm glad I played it. I was never bored. It was just sort of like didn't blow me away or anything. 
But so that's that's my horizon. Forbidden West. Last thoughts. I I probably yeah. won't, I probably won't go back and do the side quests now. I I, play, I played 30, 30 hours of it, which is a decent chunk of time to be fair. But I'm I think I'm done with it. Um, talk to me about the angry video game. <laughs> All right, so. If we're talking about mid two thousand, yeah, humor. So, so this is the mid two thousand themes comedy episode, yeah. yeah, and where we discuss mid two thousands comedy. I watched um, a YouTube channel that I like called Lady Emily. Uh, go check it out, um, dude. Like a fairly small, a medium sized uh, video essay channel has done some really good stuff on like internet culture and uh, media and so on. Released a big video about the angry video game nerd. Um, and specifically called "Why Are People Mad About the Angry Video Game Nerd?" Interesting. Um, and kind of, it was a good video. So it kind of traced the career, and it traced the the fact that there's been a lot of kind of fan backlash to the channel in recent years, and uh, kind of explore some of that. And kind of ultimately, spoilers concludes that although there are some, you know, some missteps the channel has made, the level of backlash they received probably not justified. So could you um, give me some details? One, remind everyone who what the Angry Video Game Nerd all right, is. So but then James also Rolfe, give me an idea about what who, the backlash that they've, they've received. So, so, so James Rolfe, who plays the Angry Video Game Nerd, which is a comedy character, is a, a video essayist, a kind of a filmmaker, comedian, who um, really originated the online um, reviewer genre of YouTube video, right? So yeah. back in 2004, he recorded two short videos of him in character as the angry video game nerd. Um, but, and the angry video game nerd talks about um, old games, at that time, old NES games, Nintendo games, um, and kind of, you know, gets over the top angry about them, swears a lot, and is, that's generally like the comedy routine. So he made two short videos, which he sort of circulated to his friends, um, and they found them funny. And then a couple of years later, when YouTube was a thing, um, that his friends encouraged him to upload vid- the videos. And he did, and they were one of the first sort of big uh sort of popular channels like um on on the platform uh and the channel gained a lot of momentum and he and he's made fairly regular videos ever since so it became like an ongoing series um you know the 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 nerds the character would review games uh old games bad games and kind of make riff on them yeah um there would be some some skits as was common at the time um, or some episodes would be more skip based. Anyway, that's kind of a thing. Uh, sort of originated that whole genre of like the angry reviewer and also kind of video reviews in general. He was one of the first people to do that sort of video review stuff. So, really, all kind of video essays orig- on YouTube, at least, the platform kind of originate there. Yeah. Um, anyway, he's been going. He made a crowdfunded for a movie in the about 2010 time. Uh, which, yeah. which was made and was released to a lukewarm reaction, even from fans. So it was kind of, well, it's kind of a failure, really, because... Yeah, he, it did... was, he was taking his character sort of on the road, wasn't he? Yeah, it was, I think, kind of a bit confused. But, well, I've not seen it, but like the impression I get is, is how do you take a, a character who reviews... It's kind of a, a Nan situation, really. The AVGM was the original Nan. How do you take <laughs> a uh, 
this character who kind of does one thing in like a short video format and make a movie out of it. And like James Rolfe, he went to film school, like his passion is quite clearly in sort of movie making. And you sort of get the impression that he kind of wanted to break out. But then he made this movie that wouldn't really appeal to anyone outside of people who were already fans. And even then, the fans didn't quite like it. So yeah, it's sort of it, um, it, looking at the plot. It feels to me like it kind of bought he bought his own hype a little bit. So the the pro- plot being that um, they the producers of a video game company called Cockburn Industries Incorporated uh, proposes that they create an intentionally bad sequel to the game ET and they call it ET Two. But thanks to the popularity and success of the angry video game nerd, sales of poorly made video games have increased dramatically, and a review of ET2 by the nerd would drive his fans to buy the game. And then he he starts working on a video game review or something, he has to go on a road trip for something. So you can kind of tell there's a conflict between, like, the fans want to see the nerd do the video game reviews, like he does on YouTube, but, like, you can't just have a movie about, or at least that's not really, that's like a long YouTube video, right? You can't really, it's not like the stuff of a movie, so he's kind of got to have like a plot, but the character of a nerd is not that interesting outside of the the, the reviews he's doing. So anyway, and then, um, so the general nature of a backlash is that um, James Rolfe seems to be a bit checked out. Uh, he kind of, he became part of a YouTube network called Screen Wave in about 2016, and YouTube networks aren't bad on their own, but like the the screen wave guys kind of started appearing on a lot of his stuff. Um and they I mean are not not very funny, not a lot of chemistry. Um yeah. you know, they started doing things like the, his his video production company is called the Cinemassacre, that's the YouTube channel. Like the, um a lot of content started being shifted towards like the Cinemassacre podcast, which is um not very it's just some dudes talking about stuff. But I say this as we oh, do a I'd podcast. Hate, I'd hate to have a couple a of blokes. Like but that. I'll tell you what, Callum, we're what we're one up on them. Because we actually <laughs> because we actually have like a topic list and oh, we yeah. have a Google Doc. Like the Silly Masker podcast is very aimless. Yeah, it like, might be guys... it might be hard to believe to listen to this podcast sometimes, but we do have a subject list that we follow. <laughs> um and they had like a movie review show. It was anyway. So the fans like general are like, oh, they don't really like this new content. James Rolfe himself seems to be a bit checked out. I mean, he's outright said that really, like, it, it wasn't for like the the string wave guys like doing a lot of production work. He probably wouldn't be doing it anymore. The, yeah. the whole like you know, stuff, which is fair enough. Like, you can't fault him for that. Uh, he's been doing it for a long time, and he's like a grown man now with like a whole family and stuff. So, but but and also like. So generally perceived lower quality, not a lot of James. And also, I don't know if you know this, but James Rolfe, in the, during the lockdown, started a video game comedy band Oh yeah, called, called Rex Viper. But, so like video game comedy music is kind of, it's pretty low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah. Um, but like at least if you think of like video game, you can make if you think of like games. video game comedy stuff, you think of like Star Bomb, which came off of Game Grumps and so on. At least for something like Star Bomb, that the songs are parodying some aspect of a video game. So like, yeah, they're not very hit, hit, but... no, but hit, it's like at least there's like a parody. So they're like, oh, here's a song about how Metal Gear Solid has a complicated plot. Okay, here's a song about how the Transformers aren't really in disguise because they're too recognizable. That that's a, like a of salt that's like a joke yeah. right that is that is a joke and it's joking about something from 
about the property that you are parodying. Yes. But, but James Rolls Band, all right, Cal, what if, right? What if you made a cover of Eye of a Tiger, but when it said Tiger, the accompanying music video makes it clear that you're talking about Tiger Electronic Games? Oh. Okay. What, what, if you, what if you did that? It, that's not... That's not really a joke. But would I only get the joke if I watched the music video? Yeah. Oh. Well, that's... Well, I guess so. Yeah, and on top it. of that, on top of that, the band, the, they can't keep in time and the vocalist can't really sing. Oh, that's... Um, no, very good. Well, everyone anyway, needs a lockdown project, don't they? Just maybe don't I, I get, post it. Yeah, well, that's that's what um, in the video essay, the essayist Emily was like, look, I'm glad he's like having fun, but like... He posted it on his main YouTube channel and monetized it. And they, they sell their records. And they did a live concert, which by all accounts was pretty bad. Uh... Um, because by all accounts, the band had not been in the same room together until two days before the concert. <laughs> which they charged money for. Anyway, so like... Yeah, like there's there's some like You've been thinking a lot about this then. I mean but, okay, my, my but... issues I, I think the angry the angry video game nerd had his place certainly in, like, in sort of internet history. This is my issues I'm... with it is in terms of uh it sort of kickstarted that whole angry game review thing yeah. which, which so, people so took it seriously, right? I've been thinking about, right? Because like okay, I've described the video essay, I like the video essay, I like video good video essays about like internet culture, that's fine. But this got me thinking about the angry video game nerd and thinking yeah, a bit of nostalgia from that era, you know, watching it as a teenager and thinking, well, you know, does that kind of, like, this kind of, like, sweary kind of um, comedy, you know, crude comedy, you know, maybe that's got a place. Maybe that's, some, that's something I might enjoy again. Maybe I should watch a few episodes to sort of remind myself and see if it, you know, just take it on its own merits. Don't have to take it too seriously. Yeah. But maybe, yeah, maybe there's a place. And I, I don't mind a bit of um, silly humour, you know, a bit of, a bit of crudeness. Um, it's all right. <laughs> it's my conclusion. <laughs> having having watched a few a few episodes that I remember from back in the day, I'm like, eh, it's kind of okay. Like I remember these jokes being funny, and um, and watching some of the new episodes, I'm like, eh, it's. I can't say it's ignited a big reappreciation for the angry video Is game. Is it still doing it. the same stuff now? Yeah, kind of. It's sort of um, yeah, sort of. Yeah, basically. I'm trying to like. Okay. <laughs> he, he's. What is weird though is that the difference when the Angry Video Game Nerd started, like the gap between him and Venez was similar, a couple of years longer, but similar to the gap between then and now. So, like, we're getting to the point where, because he does like nostalgic systems, right? And like, we're getting yeah. to the point where the, the Wii is a nostalgic system for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, ooh, all I can say is like Hi, so that fine. kind of got me. So basically, I've been thinking way too much about the angry video game nerd. Is he funny? Is he not? Is he? You know, again, I agree that a lot of the angry viewers he kicked off were not um not as good as the original. At least he. Had well, I don't think they were trying to do jokes. I, th there's a thing. Like, I, yeah, I think the um, idea of being angry about games became a very important not important but a very yeah. sort of like big like, part of games culture like the nerd is an actual character he's playing a like you can see James yes. Rolfe in real life is a yeah. cool guy the other guys were playing quote unquote characters they weren't really yes. characters 
And yet, like, their entire thing is just this anger at games. I, I, I don't Taking personally games get way it. too seriously and, and all that, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. I've, I, I, thought, I thought too much about this man and his ongoing video review series. Maybe, maybe someday he'll return to form. Maybe someday I'll love him. Maybe I'll embrace him as a brother. <laughs> but not today. Not today. He's just, <laughs> just on my mind. Just on Could your be mind. on yours oh, as well. That's nice, that's nice though. <laughs> um, I'm probably never going to watch any angry video game stuff. I, James, it makes if you'd me think like of a nostalgia appear... critic. Oh yeah, and he was really bad. James Rolfe, if you'd like to appear on a good podcast, you you got our number, mate. <laughs> you you have our number, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have been playing a game called Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, uh, which I'm going to check quickly. Might have been one of my most anticipated games of the year. Where's that document gone? I can't find any more. So I'm not going to check that, but it's... (laughs) So (laughs) Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin is by Square Enix and Ninja Theory. It's a Souls-like, some people describe it as Souls-like, but I would say it's more of a Souls-like, light, sorry, because it's not not too difficult, but it has definitely has a lot of the trappings, like the bonfires and things, but the le- levels are more dungeon-esque, like sort of like, it's split into levels which are quite linear, you're going down corridors and you're fighting enemies as you go along. Uh, but the combat, themsel- the combat itself is very action-orientated, so whereas, whereas Dark Souls, I think, is a bit more sword flaily and you roll around a bit i think this one feels sort of like sort of meets it halfway between the usual dark souls combat and something like a devil may cry like that sort of like action combo combat it's sort of like meets it halfway between those two points in providing a bit more of a direct combat experience to what you might usually get from a dark souls game it's very good anyway uh but this game is maybe one of the most wildly interesting B-tier experiences I've ever played because it's ugly as as hell. It looks like an upscaled PS3 game. Like a lot of the looks of this game is downright muddy and smudgy. Like it does not feel like it's running on like 4K on like a high-end system or anything, especially off coming off the back of Horizon, which I know every game can't look like. But it's like it looks ugly, um, but it uses a lot of like the Final Fantasy stuff, to, which is typically looks quite good. And so, just dragging all that stuff in here, it ends up making it look a, a bit worse. The story is batshit nonsense. Uh, I don't really know what's going on. Um, you have these characters called Jack. Um, I don't remember the names of the others. Sophia, I think, might be one. Pez, Jez, Jez or Pez or something, and then one other, and they're the four warriors of light. It's basically meant to be a retelling of the original Final Fantasy, but done in like this really weird, like early two thousands emo edgy way. Like imagine like a Linkin Park video, music <laughs> video, but in video game form, and you have the sort of the style of these characters, and they're going to fight this. 
they're looking to kill Chaos, which is just this evil that's come across the land, but they don't know if he really exists, or if maybe they're Chaos, or then they've got these crystals. Like, the, the confusion you are maybe hearing from what I'm describing the story as right now is what I've played about six hours, and that's basically what has happened so far. In that, in that maybe nothing has happened and yet everything has happened. I fought a lot of monsters and I've gone to these different levels that are based off of different Final Fantasy games but the story is absolute nonsense but I kind of love it. Like it's... it's. I don't think it was intentional because ju- judging by the interviews they are surprised by the memes that are coming out about the game but it almost feels quite earnest in a way of like we thought this would be really cool, but it's like super cringe, but in an endearing way. I don't know. It's 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 very it's a very odd thing. At one point, a villain is just sort of like about to break into the law of what's going on, and the main character Jack just goes, "Just shut up and get to the point." And then he's just like, well, "Okay, you just got to go here." And Jack goes, "Great, thanks," and just walks away. Like you've got characters that don't care about the story. Writers that maybe care about the story, but just in such a weird way. And then you've just got this really good action combat in between it all, which basically suggests you don't need to care about the story. Let's just get to the game. Almost like Doom 2016, where it's just very much just sort of straight into it, but with extra fluff added on still. Um, It's just this really bizarre fever dream-like experience. At one point, you're stood in a wheat field... Again, no explanation. It's the tutorial. It just plucks you into a little wheat field to fight some goblins, and Frank Sinatra's "My Way" starts playing. Oh, what? What? Like a, a proper yeah. song? Licensed Frank Sinatra's "What My Way" starts playing, and it plays through this cutscene and cuts off just as the chorus. St- not not like just before <laughs> the chorus. The few bars of the chorus happen, and then it stops. Wait, does he get to say my way? Does he say, oh no. no. Oh no, not no. me. I did it. I mean, it cuts no, off. He, he doesn't, pretty much, essentially, he never, yes. he never says my way. No, no. It's such a weirdly edited, bad, badly edited, like really weird story-wise game. And yet the actual play in the game is so goddamn good. And the story so just... It's like it's like a good it's like a bad B movie that you can't look away from. I really like it. I really like it. I can't I can't explain why. I, just, I think I just really like playing it. Like levels last a couple of hours long sometimes. It's hard but doesn't feel unfair. You can switch you can switch jobs on the fly. So my character is currently a um he, he he's like a warrior that carries this big great sword, but on the fly I can just switch into a black mage and just start chucking spells at people. Um, or if you just pick a different weapon up, you can then just become like a, a monk or, or a, a paladin or something. And it's very cool in that way. Um, and it sort of really encourages you to constantly switch up your gear. And it, 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 speaking of gear, it chucks way too much gear at you. Like I can't work, walk five space, like five steps in this game without getting some more gear. And I'm ending a level with like hundreds of pieces of gear that I've then just got to sift through and get rid of or give to my, my party and stuff. And it's just too much but it just chucks everything at you and some of it sticks quite well and i think i kind of respect that it's um it's a very weird game 
that I'm glad exists and I'm having a lot of fun playing it. And you know what? Maybe that's what more... Like, clearly it had less of a budget, less time to make, but isn't that kind of what we were asking? What we've been asking what, for? What, what you're saying, Cal, is that you did it your way. They, they don't, they've done it their way, Scott. They've done it their way, is what I'm saying. Yes, there were times... <laughs> like like I said, it feels like a PS3 era game, but in this era, it might be the That's return fine. of the B game, or a or Maybe. a double A game, or something, or just an A game. You know, it might. It's not a triple A experience, and I think when was this I, I want more of that anyway. It was released a week ago. Well, I heard because Squenix has released like two really shit games recently. Um. So you I'm have the, at least a decent enough one. Well, this might be one of the, the the thing is this is completely divided critics entirely. NME gave it one out of five, but <laughs> another place gave it like nine out of ten. Like there is it's it is maybe the most polarizing game I've seen in recent times. But I mean, more they've released two games like chock full of microtransactions. Oh yeah, the we're one of them which we're going to speak to speak about later because okay. it's one I was, actually, I was actually kind of looking forward to. Okay. But yeah, they they have done. They've really. Fluffed it recently, and Babylon's Fall as well was that's, well, that's yes. one of the other ones which we won't talk about. But apparently, imagine imagine ripping apart Platinum Games to make a shitty microtransaction yep. game. Um, but yeah, the, the, the I'm not certain Stranger Paradise Final Fantasy Origin is definitely a. I think it's a good game or a, or a, a great playing game, but everything else around it is very much going to be like either you're going to like this, but in in spite of its issues. Or you're, or it's going to completely turn you off of it. But I kind of love that it's this lower budget, B tier experience, cause, which doesn't me as well. Which doesn't just try and be like this AAA game. Wait, it's how more, much do you pay for it? I mean, it's fifty pounds still. Oh, okay. That's so it's still put, it's still a full price. Nah, game. Right, that's what puts me off though. But it's very good. So what what I mean from I mean from, in terms of like the developing of it. They've not. It's not. I don't know what they're developing. What the, it doesn't feel like it's one of those, been one of those things where they've been like, everyone's going to do crunch time in order to make the most beautiful game that's ever existed. And the horse testicles will shrink and things with the with the with the with the snow. Um, it's good, and it's probably going to hit fifteen pounds by Christmas. Like <laughs> it's one of those. I think it's it's it'll definitely be cheap by the end of the year. Um, Available on Xbox, PlayStation, and the Epic Games Store. If you're on PC, give it a go. Maybe at some point. It's, it's, if you want, if you want a more sort of like direct Souls-like experience with without all the the walking in between the fighting, then I think this is probably the probably the game for you. Um, it's good. It's fun. I like it. I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes and what crazy shit happens later on. You've done a big painting project? I've, I've done a big painting. Now, alright listeners, if you'll open up your textbook to page 108 you'll see the accompanying <laughs> images. Or rather, if you just open the Nerd and Geek Instagram. You love that see... joke, don't you? You, lo- you love the, uh, the the school open your textbook to X page <laughs> joke. Uh, I've, I've heard this. you make this joke in like a number of times and I love it every single time. Because it's like it's very much like a a Scott joke for me. Have I told you I, I was You made that joke at thinking... my wedding. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> good. That was really good. Uh, I do remember that. Um, <laughs> I saw you laugh as well as I made it. You know what my favorite me joke is to make? 
Um, you know, you know, Terminator, the movie Terminator. Yeah. You know the bit at the end where um where he's the Terminator scanner, they think they've killed him, and then he rises up out of the, the fire and he's just like the robot. He's just a Terminator skeleton. Oh yeah, he's just a skeleton. My, whenever I'm watching that of anyone, I will turn to them and be like, I thought Arnie's acting was really good in this bit. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously it's just stop motion. <laughs> it's good. It's a good that's, one. That's a joke I love to make and I will always make it. Let me have a look I'm at this Terminator. this. Imgur. All right, I'll put, I did, I'll put the I link did. in the podcast description yeah, as well. Yeah, gonna be a link, and uh, you can check out the Instagram. I painted another big model. I'm gonna do a painting report. I painted this is ridiculous, Scott. The Dark Master. This is nuts. This has so such. I, this is such looks, intricate I'm, I'm detail. I'm really proud of this one. Yeah, you should be. This is great. You've got your little chains and everything. So tell me, the, tell me about what's what's this guy? What's his deal? So this character. So I remember. You may remember the last time I did a big painting report. I painted Archeon the Ever Chosen, right? Yeah. So some dragon uh, dude. Yeah. So, um, so this guy used to have Archeon's job, right? So Archeon, <laughs> if in in the Age of Sigma world, in the Warhammer world, if you're like a big enough chaos warrior, if you rise to the top, you become the Ever Chosen. You become the most favoured of the Chaos Gods and they bestow all their gifts upon you. Um, and this guy, Belakor, in ancient times, he was the first ever ever chosen, the first mortal to pledge his soul to Chaos. And uh, in reward, they made him a demon prince. So they made him into this demon, which you can see in the paint job. And he uh, he ruled over uh, like a horrifying uh, kingdom on on the mortal in the mortal realms for uh, for countless ages until he was tragically owned. By the forces of uh, by owned you mean defeated? But he's defeated. He okay, was tragically yeah. o- tragically he was defeated and he got uh, pwned. as as punishment, yes, he got pwned by some leet Sigma <laughs> followers. Uh, as punishment for his failure, the Chaos Gods banished him to a special realm uh, only for the tragically owned, uh, for people who really fa- they pan- is they that banished the word him. they use? No, that's not okay, what that's right. my. <laughs> okay. No, they they they, they ban- <laughs> No, they banished him to like you know the chaos realm where uh, he had to just sort of sit and reflect on his failure, and they only let him out to crown the new ever chosen. So in humiliation, he would only get let out to crown the next people, but someone who's you, you know who has the favor that he wants possessed. Yeah. Uh, so and the the current ever chosen and the most successful ever chosen by far is a guy called Archeon. But Belakor, he's been scheming. You see, he's schemed for millions of years, thousands or millions of years in his uh, chaos realm, and he's ready to try and win the favor of the chaos gods again. So Arche- so he's different from Archeon. What you got to know is Archeon, the guy on the the big mount, the dragon kind of guy. He's very straightforward. He's not a schemer. He's never met a problem that he can't just drive an army through. Bellacore, he loves his schemes. He's all about the scheming. Yeah, he loves scheming. Uh, so he's scheming to get back on top to usurp Archeon and become the big boy of chaos once again. Okay, that's pretty. And that's cool. ki- that's kind of where he's at in the narrative. He sort of forged a, for- tried to forge an alliance to like conquer um, some dwarven cities. Nearly got there, but was defeated at the last moment. And he's kind of. He's licking his wounds and he's going to come back again with another scheme. Bellacore is all about the, the scheme within the scheme within the scheme. So, yeah. That sounds good. pretty rad. And he looks, so, he looks very cool. He's a very detailed model, cool model. Uh, it took a long time to do the wings, which are massive. 
Uh, if you're looking for pictures, you'll yeah, see. Yeah, are you, are you not like... Are they, they, so with this, it, the model comes... You don't have to like build the model at all. It comes as is, right? No, you have to assemble it. You have to assemble it as well. Okay, right. Yeah. So it did, comes did, you, did you do the wings like before putting them on the model then? No, I like to do my models all as one piece. Oh, so uh, you, some people don't. You put the wings I, on and then you painted it as... Yeah. That's scary, man. I, w- I was kind of regretting it halfway through, yeah, but yeah, at the same time. That's, that's but terrifying. the reason why I like to do my models all as one piece is so I can see the whole composition and I can see like where the light and shadow would fall. Okay, that's good. Thing. I like that. That's what I like. So I like to assess it all as one bit. Uh, however, it can be a bit annoying with models like this, where you're kind of holding it by the base, but the wings are really big, so you're kind of trying to hold it at the right angle to paint it. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be an effort, wouldn't it? So some people like to paint in sub-assembly. Some people like to paint, you know, wings separately. And maybe I should have. But oh well, I did it now. Is his sword on fire or is it fire? His, his sword is kind of... It's sort of cold, like mystical fire okay. thing. Because I think I, I chose to interpret it as his sword is kind of made out of sort of cold, sort of mystical. Made blade. out of the flames as opposed to the yeah, flames that, being on that, the blade. That, that is how I interpret yeah, yeah. it. But That's obviously you could, paint, you could paint it any which way you want. That's a joy of painting. And you would be wrong. Like <laughs> uh, how am I meant? You're breaking my immersion if you do so. You didn't do art or anything in school, have you? No, I didn't. I got into art, like, painting with a model painting. Damn. You might say it's because the British education system never tried to teach you any of the actual skills an artist would use. No, yeah. Art classes at our school was very much, all right, get on and draw then. Yeah. Uh, And if it's it's good, it's good. And if it's shit, it's shit. I remember, because I did art as a GCSE, even though I could not draw at all. Um, I mean, it was it was just one of those things where I was like, I was so determined to be a web comics. Artist. You wanted to be a big. Web I wanted to be a big web comics person, so I wanted to do like art and graphics and things. And no one in any part of the system went. Should we? Do, should we make sure you can definitely do this before you dedicate a good like fifth a, of a the GCSE, chosen subjects, yeah. a GCSE to to art, Callum, and graphics. I feel, I feel like, because I did music, and music was the same way. Either you came in like me, already knowing how to play music. Yeah. Or, or you uh, you just didn't do well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was just one of those things that, like, like partway through the first year, my art teacher just pulls me aside. I might have talked about this on the podcast before. But yeah. My art teacher just pulls me aside and goes, why did you take art, Callum? Is it because you like the writing side of things? <laughs> and it's just like, she just seems sort of so put out by the idea that she had this person in her class who wasn't just a naturally gifted artist and that she might have to teach him something. Yeah. Just a thought or might, might have to help him out a little bit rather than just having him just good and doing it. I'd say it was, yeah. it's very, I, I thought a lot about this in the intervening years and it's, it's just, it's one of the most bemusing like aspects of school for me of just like this teacher that didn't felt annoyed that she might have to try and like, rather than, encourage me partway through the first year just sort of like well why are you doing this at which point it was too late yeah british education system is pretty messed up yeah, in a lot not, of ways it's not great is it uh so i'm adding a i'm adding a, a late news okay sure so the, yeah that's your that's anyway, your um that's your that's bellicor and he i'm gonna do a legion of the first prince army i'm gonna do which is a demon soup army all different demons i'm gonna do a demon army so you're back you're back at um your parents' house. Yeah. Where are these stored? Um, some of them are in the garage. 
in boxes. And I've got the ones I use regularly. Uh, I've got like a, a bookshelf come like display cabinet that a lot of them are put in. And then I've got some other like boxes. Very nice. But, but, but my storage method, you get like um like a plastic box, you know, like the really useful box. That's like one company that does them. You get like a plastic storage box and you on the bottom of your miniature under the base, you super glue a little magnet and then you get some like a magnetic sheet and you glue it to the bottom of the storage box. And then your figures just hang there on little magnets. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Because you do a lot of these, and some of these are really big, and I'm just like... You do a lot. I'm, I'm thinking... I'm, I, tell I'm you, just, I was, I'm, I'm, sorry, I was just, just imagining, like, your parents, because I know your parents quite well, just sort of, like, um, very calmly accepting them, taking over, like, the living room <laughs> and things. Yeah, and Just sort of happens to be like, oh, there's Scott and his things again. He's, oh, you and his put over there, all right, son, as, as you are. <laughs> no, I think they'd be really annoyed, at <laughs> Can't imagine um, it. I can't imagine Oh, it. no, I said last time I'm thinking of selling some stuff, some 40k. Oh, yeah, I remember We'll that. see. We'll see. Need to actually get them up from the garage, though, and take pictures of them on eBay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got pictures already. Um, you do I've nothing got, but I, take pictures of them. I don't have pictures of all of them, because some of them are from when I first started out. Um, I want to take pictures. I'm going to sell them as like a job lot. I need to take pictures of the whole thing. The whole lot. Nice. Okay. Well, we'll see. Very good. All right. Tell me about Tunic. I'm not saying much about Tunic. Um, because I've only played, I've only played half an hour. But Tunic has been my most anticipated game for the past three years, Scott. Remember, every time it's been on the, it's been on my most anticipated games. We've got oh, it'll come oh, out yeah. this year. Oh, did it finally come out? It came out this week, and it is marvelous. Tunic is an indie developed um, Zelda-like. Uh, you play this cute little fox, and you work, walk around this world doing your little Zelda things. What's great about it is it feels like the sort of game you're going to need a notepad to play, almost like Fez. In the if the world feels very intricate, very detailed, and it, it's uh, everything is in this like language that you can't read, and so you have to pick up clues and figure out puzzles and where you even need to go by the context of the world around you. And it's been in development for seven years. It's gorgeous. It's out on Game Pass for PC and Xbox, and I am loving the first hour that I've played, half an hour to one hour that I've played. And I can't wait to get in more. But this is just a, just sort of chucked in there to be like, it's out. It finally came out. <laughs> and it seems to be actually good and worth the wait. So I'm really looking forward to diving into Tunic more and look forward to my thoughts on that in two weeks' time. Tell me about a movie. Nice. All right. So this is Scott's um, intense and depressing but good movie recommendation corner. This is so- where we stretch the... This is really stretching the definition of nerd and or geek. But films are something that nerds and or geeks might want to watch at some point. I've seen a film before. seen a film, but these are... Don't involve any aliens or monsters or demons or or Final Fantasies or anything like that. These are movies about real people uh, living real lives. You've Uh, never talked about those before on the podcast? (laughs) With, uh, with, With no fantastical elements. Okay, well, let's let's hear it. Well, the first one is... All right, they uh, look like people. This sounds like it could have some fantastic elements about it. Well, it has some horrific elements. Okay. Um, but, but really, it... No, okay, so it's about um, a guy in New York. Um, it's about a guy who is, um, who's been made homeless. Uh, he's kind of... He goes to his... Uh, an old friend of his... Um, and they, they can't... He get the impression that he's, he arranges to run into him. And they sort of hang out, and the friend's like, "Are you are you homeless right now?" And he's like, oh, "Kinda." And he's like, "Oh, come and stay with me until you get back on your feet. That's fine." Okay. So they 
Maybe that, but the friend, the one who is uh, has been made homeless, uh, he's pretty clearly suffering from some kind of mental health crisis. Like he's got, um, he he sees in the nighttime kind of these uh, demon-like creatures. Uh, he believes that you know some people are demons in disguise. Um, he believes that his mate's like kind of girlfriend uh, is the one who can tell him how to fight them and stuff. He's suffering from these delusions. So it's a very intimate, um, free free person movie really there's a fourth character uh but really like um three people the two guys and the guy the the friend who's hosting him is also kind of in a um you know he wants to ask out his co-worker as she's kind of into it uh but they're sort of you know they're flirting around yeah. each other etc um yeah and things develop from there so he's sort of suffering with mental health crisis but the friend really wants to help but there's a really touching bit where you just see what the guy is googling at work and he's Google he's reading an article called how to be a friend in need to a friend in uh, a friend indeed to a friend in need that's cute and that's just really that's sweet. nice um but yeah, there's. Um, I don't not going to go too much detail into plot because it is. Um, it's these characters interacting and things sort of coming to a head, um, where this guy sort of mental health suffers a suffers a sort of break um, with a resolution. I will say the ending is good. I won't spoil the ending, but they didn't make it shit. There were several ways that the ending to this movie could have been shit, and they didn't do any of them. I feel like anytime you bring a movie with us, it usually has a shit ending. But I'm glad a- that it's a- finally any, any one. Move, any movie where someone is kind of seeing things and. There's a slightest bit of ambiguity as to what whether he's seeing is in his head or real. There's a potential for a really shit ending, but they didn't do any of them uh, in this. Um, they, they they stuck for landing. And biggest compliment I can give to this movie is that midway through, I was watching it and being like, I really hope that nothing. I really hope that this guy gets the help he needs, and there's like some sort of positive ending because I really don't want anything bad to nice. these characters. And um, so really well acted, yeah, and you can good. kind of tell um, the characters feel really real because I actually, I I genuinely was worried something bad was going to happen for them. That's so, so good. They look like people. I love it when would a film can do that. Uh, it has some creepy bits. There's no like outright like jump scares or anything or anything. There's no like outright horror. There's just some creepy sort of imagery. So okay. um, yeah, it's up to you. So I don't. I wouldn't call it a horror film. I call it more sort of a drama um, with some maybe some horror elements. The horror is your own mind, basically, uh, in this movie. So would recommend. They look like people. And do you want me to just go right onto the other one, and then you can have. Yeah, months. go for it. Alright, and the next movie is called Cajillionaire from 2020. Um I think this one kind of got a bit lost in the pandemic mix as well. Set in LA, uh it's about this um two kind of people and their 26-year-old daughter. So the the couple is kind of a bit elderly, their daughter, and they basically are like scam artists. I call this movie Only Fools and Horses, but it's real and depressing. <laughs> because, because oh, you because mean they are... uh, rock and chips? Oh, rock and oh, can we talk sometime about how good rock and chips is? Rock and chips is so do, good, but yeah, we can at some do, point. Do you really like you like rock and chips as well, right? Yeah, rock and chips is amazing. All right, we're gonna have to have a rock and chips episode at some point. But anyway, okay, um, <laughs> talking. Yeah, because um, but so this family who in the in the words of a father. They they basically skim off the top, right? So they they spend their days running low level scams on people, like stealing people's mail, kind of trading and selling whatever they've got, um, uh, just sort of sc- scraping by. Uh, they live in a basically like a slum, like they live in a 
what is meant to be an office, like a small office, uh, but they're renting from the landlord for... The landlord's like a slumlord, but he's rent, they're renting for it for relatively cheap because, like, several times a day, one wall, like, leaks foam and they have to clear it all up. Oh, great. Okay. So cool. they're, they're kind of living in this slum um and there and this couple this elderly couple has basically kind of raised their daughter in this environment so it's about their daughter who's called old dolio played by evan rachel wood um old dolio and she's sort of being raised in this lifestyle of just sort of scamming cheating uh skimming doing like any random odd job that comes along uh but her parents are not at all like affectionate towards her is point. they're like quite standoffish they sort of view her as like their partner in crime but also like they give her very little affection. Everything is like a business relationship. And it's kind of about how these people, these parents... Um, my, my friend called it a movie about the devastating emptiness of desperate people. About how these people have been kind of living this way for so long. That they, they can no longer view anyone as anything other than like a mark. Or like someone that they can try and extract value out of. Uh, but right. while conducting yeah. an insurance scam, um, they meet a woman um, played by Gina Rodriguez, who was the Virgin in Jane the Virgin, if you've seen that show. Um, I've not seen that show. Well, I, I've not seen it either, but I looked her up on IMDb and she was the Virgin <laughs> in Jane the Virgin. Um, and also Jane in Jane the Virgin as well. They were one and the same. Um, anyway, they meet a, a kind of a woman called... Um, I can't remember her name. They meet Gina Rodriguez's character. And Gina Rodriguez, she's kind of, you know, a bubbly, sort of uh, nice person. And she kind of gets swept up in their sort of lifestyle, their fantasy. We see that she's got like a mum who kind of, he's overbearing. Her mum's like super plugged into the internet. And like generally when they video call her mum's like, I'm ordering you a gadget on Amazon. Be careful, sweet. Like, oh, right. Okay, uh, so, yeah. so, so kind of old Dolly's parents, but... The Dines, there's their last name. The Dines are kind of a polar opposite, and she kind of, she kind of, you know, gets charmed by them and kind of participates in a few of their low-level scams. Um, but then she kind of um, things come to a head. I won't go too much into the plot, but it had very much the same thing as um, as they look like people as very well acted, and you want the main characters. That is Old Dolio and Gina Rodriguez's character to be okay. Um, and it's a very compelling portrait of like how that kind of this mix of desperation of poverty, but also like living this lifestyle where you're just like scamming everyone kind of turns you into this empty person. And um, old Dolio's characters attempt to break free from that. I would recommend Cajillionaire. Nice. Okay. Well, sounds yeah. good. So, so that's Scott's intense and depressing movie recommendation corner. I saw a movie as well yesterday. Oh yeah, what was it? it was, was it intense? It was and depressing. Was it what? It was it. Intense it was intense. There was definitely depressing moments within it. Um, it was the Jujitsu Kaisen movie or Jujitsu Kaisen Zero, is what is what it was called. Uh, have you heard about Jujitsu Kaisen before? I haven't. No. Jujutsu Kaisen is a Japanese manga and anime series um, which basically follows the <clears throat> comings and goings of a world where all living beings emanate an energy called cursed energy, which arises from negative emotions that flow through the body. And normal people can't control this, um, but as a result, they continue to lose cursed energy, resulting in the birth of 
curses, a bunch of super spiritual beings and their desire is to bring harm to humanity. Um, they show up as like gruesome, horrible body horror type monsters, like just these really weird creatures. And you've got jujitsu sorcerers who are people who can control the flow of cursed energy in their bodies, allow them to use it as they, as they want to and reduce its release. And then they can use these to like fight the, uh, cursed creatures because curses are the only things that can harm curses. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen follows a guy who inherits a cursed creature and basically gets put to a stay of execution but because he has a curse inside of him. However, he has to use this curse to help fight back these other curses before he gets executed. And he joins the Jujutsu Kaisen High School uh, in order to learn how to use his curses. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very good. It's often very dark, but it's also very funny. Um, before Jujutsu Kaisen became such a massive thing, it's one of the biggest manga series going right now, and one of the biggest series that launched on Crunchyroll last year, beautifully animated by the by Mappa Studio. Um, the, the writer, uh, Gege Akatami, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, before he did Jujutsu Kaisen, he entered a competition with a a, a a manga which he called Tokyo Metropolitan Curse Technical School. And through winning the competition, it got serialized in the in the Shonen Jump uh, Giga issues from April to July 2017, and led to him getting basically hired to create Jujutsu Kaisen as a full manga series. That's the background for it. Uh, it then got renamed to Jujutsu Kaisen. This, this, this prequel essentially became a prequel book, which got renamed to Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which is what this film is. It's the prequel to the animation, to the anime itself, and sort of sees some of the characters in a year, like a year prior to the events of the anime. And it was really bloody good. So the, the plot of the film is you, you have this young high school student who suffers from a curse where his girlfriend who when he was 10 years old died in a car crash in front of him now her cursed spirit because they promised that they would be together forever exists within him and follows him everywhere talks to him and fights off any sort of dangers that he that he has or, or anyone who comes close to him, really, because it thinks that it's protecting him. And so he's this very lonely, suicidal individual, which gets to, who gets taken in by the by the Jujutsu Jiu High School, in order to help develop this curse and hopefully exercise it. Um, and also gets then gets dragged into the fight against the evil curses that they are part of. And it's surprisingly dark, you know, like um, when it, it shows the his his when he's 10 years old, like his, his girlfriend being hit by a car and how she becomes this curse. You just see like this blood spilling from her head and this mouth appears from the blood and just starts screaming that they'll be married and together forever. Like there's a lot of I like, mean, body horror. Mate, mate, we've had, we've had ex-girlfriends who are right curses. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> am I right? There's a lot of like real body horror a lot of real like body horror stuff, which is which is par for the course for the sh for the show as well. But then also it's also just this very at times heartwarming and very funny 
film too, with with some of the best action scenes I've ever seen in an anime film. Like Mappa just do such incredible stuff with their animation that it's it's on a whole other level to anything else. It's just this really I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a great stepping on point for people who haven't seen the show before because it's a prequel. It explains everything that's going on as part of the film. I would it's it's maybe the the best anime film I've seen since Dragon Ball Broly. Um, and I've seen quite okay. a few of them. Okay, it definitely hit, hits those highs. I would hurry, it's, it's, It literally came out yesterday. Although, if you listen to podcast, it came out. Actually, it, it officially came out today. Previews were yesterday. So, if you listen to podcast, it came out three days ago. I, I believe cinemas are showing it in limited showings for a, a couple of weeks. And I would highly recommend giving it a go if you fancied some watching a very good action anime, dark, dark anime fantasy film big recommendation and then maybe you'll like jujitsu maybe you'll give jujitsu kaiser a go afterwards that's it's uh it's very good i highly recommend it and then the other thing i've done in the past week is i, I bought a book a few a few months ago which i finally got around to reading called ask iwata um iwata being the late nintendo president this is a book which though he is a very private man they sort of combed through every interview every sort of ask iwata asks it, the discussion that he gave in order to put together a memoir of his like core beliefs and tenets of how he worked, how he lived, and and deliver it in a way as if he is he is speaking this, and it's all it's all with his own words, and it's just this very nice, touching book about uh, someone who, for all a tents and purposes was a a good man um who who worked very hard to 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 do the best he could in in the positions he was in it's um it's got a lot of great business advice if you're into that it's got a lot of great personal advice and it's also just very a very funny and warm look at a, a man who had a massive impact on video games as as a whole um I had a really great time, really great time with it. It's also got some stuff from Miyamoto and his memories of him in it, and uh, it, it's 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 great. I really I really enjoyed reading that. So that is Ask Iwata. Nice. Yeah, it's um, it's really good. It's re- it came out towards the end of last year, I think. It's great. I recommend it. Shall we go on to the news? Yeah, I'm really loving the stern note you've left for me under the story. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> we've got uh, it's we've got an article here about um, anime voice actors, and basically it's come to light recently that anime voice actors are dub dub voice actors specifically are struggling to get by and really struggling to get by. So this is an article from We Got This Covered. And anime has basically never been bigger than it is now. You've just seen the recent merging of Funimation and Crunchyroll with Funimation rebranding as as Crunchyroll as a whole. Um, Sony Pictures Entertainment, which has basically bought Funimation and Crunchyroll and, and sort of almost has almost a monopoly of the Western anime scene. Obviously, you've got Netflix that is, that is also a competitor uh, you've got Toonami that posts that, that that puts a lot of stuff up in the in the US, but otherwise, you've not got a lot of competition. It's certainly nothing to the to the scale of what Crunchyroll now is, and what 
you would maybe hope from that is that they would pay their the people who have helped make anime so big in the West, the the dubbers, because that's that's the primary watching of anime in the West. Is sort of sort of certainly what popularizes it. You think that they would pay them what they're due, but it, that doesn't seem to be the case. I think and, you'd um, hope. Dub- you, I don't think you'd think. You'd hope. Yes, you wouldn't think. You would. You would hope. Well, yes. well, you you see, Cal. Um, there was there was a man about 150 years ago called Karl Marx, and although. <laughs> He'd oh, never yeah. seen. He he never lived to see anime. He did predict the exact eventuality. Mm. Through through the through the say, Scott? The, and that, the framework that he described, we can understand the entire anime industry. What what sort of stuff did he did he say, Scott? For for the listeners well, who may not, well, what he said was, or may not know, uh, that the interests of workers and and capitalists and bosses are fundamentally opposed uh, because they have different class interests. You see, um, the interests of the people who control the anime industry, who have the money and who uh, and who hire the dubbers, is to try and make as much money as possible. And therefore, they will pay the dubbers as low a wage as they can get away with. Uh, so it won't... And it's that, not and out that of wage, for what it's worth... They would increase that wage. It seems to be... The, the 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 wage see what would you expect so someone who is voicing a like let's say like a like a goku or something or like a popular character in an anime or in a, in any sort of show you'd expect them to sort of get actors rates wouldn't you 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 expect that they're they're like making a decent enough living if they're able to do it full time that that's that's well again you you're, you're asking rhetorically is what you would expect because, because what one I'm asking I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that but uh, one might Yes, similar to actors, you know, actors tend to earn a fair bit of money for for doing their acting. Um, well, it you've got you've got you voice are. actors <laughs> who are, but the good you've Hollywood, got voice actors in, basically in, so no, dub, dubbing actors who are working basically full time in anime doing the dubbing voices, and they are making only twenty thousand to thirty thousand dollars a year. For full-time anime dub work, mm. voice work, and these these are shows that are wildly successful and earn massive amounts of money for for the creators. The the idea that they be, they pay the dub the dub voices that little is is in is entirely typical of corporate behavior. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's wild. It basically doesn't seem like any sort of increase in wages have happened for like 20 years since since the original forming of the um may i recommend the, to you the this voice actors guild for materialism pardon may i recommend you this book on dialectical materialism to understand why that is oh yeah go on <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway of course um but yes, there were some some kind of a union agreements in the early two thousands with the voice actors guild. Uh, but that's not really that's not expanded as the industry has expanded, and um, and increasingly production companies, of which now there's one really big one that has a de facto monopoly, are using non union labor. So yeah. basically, the voice actors guild needs to get his ass out of its hand. And um, well, mass- massively, and crack so, on. Yeah, you 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 really but, need some. Back so like, these people. There, there, there's no solution to this that doesn't involve collective action, right? 
Like there's no, there's no way you can you can get these um well this one company now basically this single company yeah. to pay better rates without some sort of collective action and um and I think you know they need to um so I'm not sorry I'm losing my train of thought <laughs> so the, the article talks about the coalition of dubbing actors CODA a volunteer run advocacy group for both union and non union actors in dubbing um who's kind of been doing some advocacy but not actually focusing on the collective action part more kind of the, the raising the voice part which is fine but i think they need to like the sentence that rubs me is union and non-union union right whether whether that means the the voice actors guild or some because a union is just as membership right a union doesn't need to be the voice actors guild it could just be any collection of voice actors if they can build that solidarity need to focus mm-hmm. on becoming something more than just a, an advocacy group and focus on that kind of collective action i guess the difficulty here is 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 it's it's very different to like if it was um like like a like a company unionizing for example in the voice actors and actors in general typically are very solitary um and uh just doing what they can to get work and trying to get by so i do think it's very difficult to say to these people hey potentially put your career on the line to try and hold these companies to I accounts mean, I, who could I, maybe I just find say, other people anyway i didn't say it was easy it's called oh no of course it's not easy but i i, just I mean, don't, I, mean in- I i think it becomes i think that becomes like a, a I, I get why maybe that you've got you've got advocacy groups who are just sort of trying to raise yeah. the issue more than you have collective and, and action and because like, this is something which is very difficult to and, do and that, and that can be a step on the way to building that kind of thing right um yes of course. but you know obviously you, you've got lessons from sort of uh, the screen actors guild and so on equity in the uk of uh, that they kind of came of age in a, in a different kind of interest i'm thinking of that writer's strike for that um that com- game company that wrote visual novels in japan that um oh yeah you remember that? And that was like 20, like pure freelancers. So like no job security, but they did, ma- they managed to build that solidarity and, um, and you know, the, and managed to hold their employer to account and they, they had success there. So I think stuff like that, there are success stories of um, how to do that. And that, at the end of the day, there is like a limited pool of like good talent. And these companies do need, yeah. like, there's a reason why they are going for the talent, like, voice actors with experience and talent and so on is because they they want that voice talent to sell their products so there is they as much as they're going to insist and basically something that they will you know turn around and say well we can get that labor anywhere well the truth is they yeah. can't actually because it's a very skilled profession and you know they they know that they can't and it, their their profits will suffer as a result of it so i think it is it's not easy and i know i know i'm just on the sidelines uh, kind of commentating um and maybe this is the first step in my process. I hope it is. I hope uh, yeah. we'll see more developments in this field. So, you know, good luck to them. Um, you know, we, we know where the where the path to success lies. It's, there's no way it can happen without some kind of um, unionization, some kind of collectivization on the part of, um, of anime dubbers and voice actors in general. So, yeah, let's hope. Uh, and that doesn't we are have stronger to be together than existing structures. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be in the form of existing structures, my thing, is my point. So if if the voice actors guild isn't doing its job that these things can be built and can be formed elsewhere and you know it sounds like if these people are coming together in kind of groups advocacy groups they are talking to each other uh but i think the next step is hopefully building that kind of um solidarity 
and action. Well, good luck to them. And in the meantime, you know, yeah. Um, you know, if you see a Sony executive in the street, uh, just make a very rude face at them. <laughs> They'll know what uh, it's for. Ta- <laughs> take inspiration from the Nan, popular comedy character, and um, and swear at them or something. <laughs> so as we look towards the future, then of what things are changing, um, there are some places that are, that are from certainly what looks like taking positive steps to building a better future, and one of that is. Uh, Xbox have provided basically provided an update on their sustainability efforts. Um, they've changed their target for 2030. They now intend to be carbon negative, water positive, and have zero waste by 2030. They've rolled out sustainability updates to our, to the Xbox Series X and S consoles, and just put a lot of these goals in place. A lot of the Xbox consoles are now going to be made with recycled resin for example so what are your thoughts on uh, uh, what the environment the environment the future of the environment is something which genuinely scares me a lot because it's something that i feel like as, yeah, a, as it, an individual well i have there's very little i can do about it and i do not like that um so i wanted to highlight this because it feels like there's actual efforts being made by a company here to do something that is good and it also happens to be video games adjacent uh what are your thoughts on this scott um i mean it's nice goals to have obviously the company can say what it likes about its goals like now uh we'll see if yeah. they actually follow through on it because we know that you know governments and companies and so on will say we'll make promises all the time and then not necessarily go through with them so uh you know they they've set these commitments fine um but we will see you know, the proof will be in the pudding, right? So we will see um, what actually comes of it. I can't really say much more than that uh, because I don't have any control over it. But if it happens... <laughs> Why not? Uh, yeah, if it happens... Well, obviously, um, I've, I was about to make a, a joke. I was about to make a callback to a joke we made, but I'm not sure if it was actually a joke we've ever made. I was about to call myself <laughs> Microsoft, but I don't know if we ever actually said that. I don't. Maybe, I uh, whatever. Let's keep our callbacks to the same podcast, the same episode. <laughs> um, what what some of their plans are? Uh, they want to do one hundred percent recyclable Xbox products and accessories. So that's not just the boxes and everything it comes in. It's the actual product itself will be recyclable. So the actual Xbox you have in your in your living room will become a recyclable thing. Uh, although if they end up moving everything to the cloud, then I suppose it's easy to make a recyclable Xbox, which if, if they don't make an Xbox, <laughs> um, if everything is just done on your phone, then they don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's very, the thing is, it's very easy to make some, quote, commitments for a good PR. Um, but, you know, we will see, um, you know, a proof of a pudding's in the, in the tasting, as they they've say. They've already, uh, they, they talked about the um, the steps they've already made. So at a minimum, 28% of the Xbox Series S is, uh, of the mechanical comic plastic by of the Xbox Series S is post-consumer recycled resin, which is basically uh, resin which has already been used by consumers um, and, and has been recycled. So that's a step. And the same goes for, uh, their controllers as well, um, especially the Xbox Design Labs controllers, which uses post re- post consumer resin. Um, they are reducing packaging and shipping 
by 90.5%, or making making it 90.5% recyclable. They are, they are, they are planning to. That's is that, is that a planning? Is that, is that one of the planning ones? Okay. Um, and then they've also recently made it so the energy saver mode, which for the Xbox consoles uses 20 times less power as standby mode, um, can now update and download games from energy saver mode. There, there, certainly, um, there were certainly times where I've turned the Xbox on to just normal standby mode because I needed to get an update or, or a new game installed. So the effect that I can do that in energy saver mode now is pretty good. Uh, but there is one thing um, I think is missing from here, which I would have liked to have seen, which would have been a commitment to not in- to not using any form of cryptocurrency or NFT uh, in like their products. Fair. I I I don't know if this, I think this is more about the physical aspect of their product yeah, rather than like, anything else. But that is but... also but but also it didn't have to be right. So that's what they they chose to yeah. write it the way they did. So you know I feel like that would have been a, a commitment I would have liked to have seen with regards to the environmental impact of their products and services. So have you seen the um the awareness of like NFTs of the past like couple of weeks? It's like dropped massively in people talking about it on the internet apparently, and it's just crashing yeah. in price now. Fun, funny that the fun, bubble might have already that. burst, which is good. Yeah, I, I I think it may have. Like uh, yeah, funny, funny how that works. Yeah, it's 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 happened so fast, but it looks like the bubble might might have already burst on NFTs anyway. You know, Cal, um, there was a man called Karl Marx. Who, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who talked about speculation and how it doesn't produce any actual value? Oh, really? Yeah, and that's a lot of what that. the oil stuff is from right now, isn't it? Like speculation of what the oil is actually going to be like there, in the future with the whole everything going on, it, rather than there not being but, enough oil anyway. About what it will, there won't be oil-producing countries not, you know, tapping into what they could do because they the price will go up, etc. Yes. But the price yeah. of like commodities like fuel and stuff uh, does have an element of speculation, yeah. But you can actually use fuel, which is uh, more than you can say for NFTs. That is true. But just just consume fuel to to make. Yes. Speaking of consuming fuel, kart races. The karts probably run on fuel. Uh, that's my segue to Final Fantasy kart wow. race. Uh, but, but, the GP. karts they run on microtransactions. It turns out. They run on microtransactions. So Final Fantasy Kart Racer Chocobo GP uh, came out this week or last week for Nintendo Switch. It costs £50 and it it has microtransactions up the wazoo. Which is not great. So it has a battle pass. I was looking forward to this. I've not bought it. Um, it has a battle pass in the game. It has currency that you can purchase in the game. And this isn't new to full price products, but it does feel especially com- scummy for a child friendly kart Mario Kart esque kart racer. Um, mm-hmm. It will have seasons. There is a gacha type system of getting different things for your car. There's shops with different like currencies for you to spend. Um, people said that when they booted up the game, they were immediately greeted with in-game currency you can buy with money, real real money. Um, battle bars to get rewards with two tiers, like a free tier and a, a tier that you pay for. It feels like a free-to-play oh, All the monetization game. is in there. Yes. Basically, any sort of monetization of the past Does 10 years, I don't think it has loot boxes. All right. well, it's that's got a prize pass. <laughs> 
let me just see. I'll, I'll just control F the word. Nope. Loot does not come up in this, in this article. Oh, God. So I'm going to assume it doesn't have loot boxes. I uh, also, cl- classic, am... The first thing you see when you open the game is an advertisement for microtransactions. Yes. Uh, you can get new characters through the microtransactions or you can play to earn them. But of course, oh that playing God. will be tuned in such a way that it will take absolutely ages and makes you want to get the microtransactions in the first place. Can't this is play for fun. Or you just want to play to contribute, play to earn. Right? This play is as a job. So disappointing. Like Final Fantasy as as a series, I, I appreciate it's a series that is wildly popular, and so they want to monetize it and make money where they can with it. But this is such a I don't way to that. just no. Well, I think I, I, they what, could have made money by just I re- making I suppose, a video I game. Recog- I recognize it as a series where they want where they where it's got a bunch of you know it's it's a popular series where they want to make money. But this is just it's Final Fantasy's thirty fifth anniversary this year, Scott, and these games are being released as oh, celebration of that. Birthday. And to see it it's sort not of like a celebration. Sh- to see them shit on the legacy in such a way is just, especially to me, where that series means a lot to me is um, it's it's it's, it's very it's very disappointing, uh, and I don't know. Uh, do, will this game go free to play? Probably. I could see them doing that. Like, okay, we we made a mistake with our monetization, and rather than taking it out, we're just going to make the game free to play or cheaper, so that we can leave it in, and that'll be like the and then everyone who bought the game gets like I don't know. A few seasons for free is where I can see this going. Yeah, a few V bucks chucked in there. Um, Oh god. Yes, it's it's just it's shit. It's sad. Square Enix lost the plot. Yeah, for a while now they've had a couple of good releases, but then a lot of the stuff they turn out has been pretty bad. You've got you've got I think you've got some good studios within Square Enix who are making good stuff. And then you've got a lot of upper management that just do not seem to get it whatsoever. Just create these ridiculous targets. I mean, every game that gets released by a Western studio somehow doesn't meet sales expectations. That Guardians of the Galaxy game is the most recent one where they said, hmm, they didn't meet the expectations we had for it. And you just got to wonder, what are you actually expecting from this, from these things? And are... are I mean, I know the answer. I was about to say, are they making games uh, for the right reasons? And I think a video game? probably are. It's yeah, a video exactly. game. I mean, developers probably are making in- games for the right reasons, but the upper higher ups are clearly. I mean, the individual developers don't make these decisions, do they? So they they exactly. in the studio. They they work. They have to do what they're told to work on. But what as for what I expect, I expect an actual video game and not just like a slot yeah. machine. Yeah, absolutely. Disappointing. Um, for shame. Ubisoft is another company that we talk about. A fair bit. Oh yeah, they're they're pretty bad, really. Overall, they're pretty bad. Um, for the most part. What have they done this time? They've made. They're making. An, they're making another poor decision here. Although this one is on oh, the yeah. basis of improving games in in their eyes. Although to me, it just makes it sound even worse. Uh, they're getting into cloud computing with the intention of using that to make its open worlds even bigger. Oh my god! So That's you know these. These it, it, bland, boring. My, well, my you know the worlds that exist without substance already in the in these games. Imagine if those substanceless worlds were even bigger. Well, my so you had even more. The, 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 these worlds are do. big. Uh, will they be worse without like sex abuses? 
No, no. Okay, okay. So it's, it's the same as Ubisoft. Then. Oh no, actually, you know what? In real life. Maybe. Okay. I don't think sexy just happens in the cloud. Maybe slightly better than Ubisoft in real life. Yeah, exactly. If these worlds are developed by essentially able to be built with AI, then I suppose there's less sex abuse going up with the AI. Oh, maybe they'll abuse an AI. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them at this point. Allegedly. Uh... <laughs> Always allegedly. <laughs> Always allegedly on this podcast. Um, their games are too big. The idea of making them bigger, I get that it's a nice, like, slap it on the back of the box. The biggest world you've ever seen. Games are getting too big now, and they, the, considering the worlds we've got right now are not being filled with substantial and fun experiences, then it feels pointless. Um, that's the end of the news. Wait, it wasn't there one more and story. Also, nope. I need to. I need to wrap up the end now because okay. my stomach is starting to hurt, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'll leave. The reasons for needing to wrap it up at that. Uh, we did have one. You know, you know what? I could, I could probably do one more news story very quickly. Uh, Doctor Who is coming to Fortnite, but not through an official cross promotion. Um, the BBC have used Fortnite's creative tools to create their own Doctor Who land in Fortnite. What? But are very explicitly saying it's not in collaboration with Epic Games. Which feels like the most BBC thing ever. Like we couldn't, yeah. we couldn't get them to put Doctor Who in Fortnite, so we're just doing it ourselves. <laughs> it feels like just so. So they've they've made their own trailer for it. They made their own Doctor. So the trailer, if you if you watch the trailer, put in there, um, Doctor Who created in Fortnite, and they got the Fortnite characters. The reality virus has brought the tires, the TARDIS to Fortnite. And they've like created the whole story around it about how the TARDIS has ended up in Fortnite uh, with no official collaboration with Epic Games. And I... I you know what? I kind of respect it. <laughs> also, it, it seems both... It's a sort of interesting thing I would like them to do, but also it seems a bit sad. Like they managed to get yeah, like, Minecraft like, like most British things, like most British things. Yeah, it just feels a bit like please let us in. We we, we can we can join as well, right? Bring um, it full circle. Will Catherine Tate be in it? Maybe. <laughs> they've got. They've managed to <laughs> create a mannequin which looks like David Tennant, <laughs> but just sort of stands mm. there. So that's pretty good, <laughs> and and solitary Daleks, and uh, I don't know, slightly shit looking Daleks. It just feels a bit sad. <laughs> if it's just they wouldn't let us do the sponsorship deal, so we'll just do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> that's do you need Fortnite to play it? You do need Fortnite to play it, yeah. So you just—it's a creative map in Fortnite, mm. which the BBC have made, but the Epic have not, like, been like, yeah, you, yeah, let's let's team up. Very odd. Um, Scott, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, it's all right. I've had I've had a good time. We've talked a lot. We've yeah, learned a lot. It's been good. We've we've seen a lot of things. 
Um, if you are listening to the podcast, it'd be so great if you could leave us with a review, a little five stars or a follow yeah, or a subscribe right. or whatever your podcast app lets you do. Um, in the coming week, uh, next week, there'll actually be a bonus episode of the podcast where I will be interviewing God. Joseph Gribbin, the maker of Grapple Dog. Uh, I was going to say, we're not doing rock and chips that early, are we? No, we're not. <laughs> We've not agreed <laughs> to do that yet. No, I'll be I'll be doing an interview a, a, in conversation with Joseph Gribbin, the maker of Grapple Dog, where we'll talk about the creation of the game and uh, his inspiration and how he has found the whole process over the course of the pandemic. Um, so look forward to that in a week's time. Scott, is there anything you'd like to direct people towards on the internet? Uh, you from can check your me own out, self um, or elf otherwise. You, you- yeah, you can check me out, uh, Scott Hunter Studios on Instagram. That's my paintings in my painting there. You can see Scott VAH on Instagram is my personal, and that's fine. And apart from that, um, oh, P&O Ferries, they did some shit to their workers. I won't go into it. Too. They made some people redundant for, for bad reasons. 800 people. To... Yeah, it was real shit. Uh, so go check out um, what RMT are doing on it, uh, because, yeah, we need to fight back. Uh, so... <laughs> We'll yeah do that. Go go search for it. Send me a link. I'll put it in the open description. There's some emo- um, yeah. And some- follow my Twitter at Caldouty over on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week if you listen to the bonus episode. Otherwise, in two weeks' time, have a great time. Bye bye. bye.